We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Yeah, it was quite a scene from Mackay Beckton, the standout left tackle for the New York Jets. He was eight, making everyone think that it was a very, very serious knee injury. He came out pretty decent considering, from what I understand, uh, his kneecap went in and out, uh, essentially dislocated and came back similar, I would say, uh, to Ryan Fitzpatrick hip. What happens there is that as the kneecap dislocates, it causes other damage. He is going to undergo arthroscopic surgery to clean out some loose bodies. Along with that, there was also an MCL sprain. So it's a dislocated knee, kneecap, MCL sprain, and some loose bodies. He is expected to be back in four to five weeks. So he's going to go on IR but not the season-ending, devastating injury that it appeared when he was being carted off yesterday afternoon. Welcome, everybody, back to the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Tickle with Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Ian Rappaport of NFL Network on the injury to Jets left tackle Makai Becton. Yikes. It's a huge loss for the Jets. Huge loss for the Jets. Huge losses were the soup du jour for the AFC East, Chris. As we get back here for the AFC East Roundup Week 1 edition, it's it's frustrating, right? When you look around the NFL and you say, okay, some divisions went 4-0. Some divisions went 3-1. The AFC East went 1-3. I like it. (laughs) That is an inauspicious way to start a football season. Yeah. Look at the standings. The Miami Dolphins beating the Patriots with some last-minute heroics. The Dolphins, for the first time in as long as I can friggin' remember, are sitting alone at the top of the AFC East at 1-0. That's surprising, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Then the Jets are behind them. Followed, actually, it's the Patriots. If you're going, because apparently these are stacked by points allowed. 
Yeah. Which makes sense, right? Seems right, yeah. So the Patriots, in second place at 0-1, having just lost to the Miami Dolphins. Actually, no, I think they go to the bottom. Technically, this graphic might be wrong because they have a division loss and we don't. So technically, we rank ahead of them in division wins. Okay. Either way, it's not good because they only give up 17 points. Followed by the Jets at 0-1 and the Buffalo Bills on the receiving end of a uh, 23-16 loss. We're sitting here talking about the Bills being at the basement of the AFC East after one week. Now, I get it. It's one week. And everybody, Chris, say it with me. Goose Fraba. We want to start around the horn. We used to have to start with the Jets, right? Because they were so bad. Worst to first. It now starts with the Buffalo Bills because if you're just looking at the numbers, we were the worst. Points against record, we were the worst team in the AFC East. I don't agree with that, but that's how they listen. Ball don't lie. So when you look at the Buffalo Bills, you guys can go back and listen to our, you know, what, two nights ago now? If Probably. You're hearing, if you're hearing this now, it's been out for about two days. Our recap edition of what happened on Sunday, Bills versus uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I just feel like there's some things that need to be said that we didn't cover. And one of them is this tweet that Greg Thompson from CoverOne.net perfectly encapsulated. He's mad. It was Sunday night, and he tweets out way too much narrative. Pittsburgh is a tough opponent. Was yesterday really different from last year? Now, think back to this. Now, Chris, when we lost, was it like a gut punch to you? Yeah, because of the way it happened. Okay. And it felt different, right? Yes. Okay. 2020, Pittsburgh, Buff- uh, Buffalo, Pittsburgh. Josh Allen, 55%. 238 yards, two touchdowns, one turnover. One team gets a defensive or special teams touchdown, and we win 26-15. 2021 Buffalo-Pittsburgh, Josh Allen, 58%. A better completion percentage than what he had last year. 270 yards, more yardage than he had last year. One touchdown, one turnover. One team gets a defensive and special teams touchdown, and wins 23-16. It's just that this time, that team wasn't us. And if you go back and then you take it a step farther and you go back to 2019 when we were playing the Steelers with Duck Hodges. Duck Hodges, Chris. I've heard of that guy. Yeah. Do you remember being... You, you He's were, better you, than Josh Allen, you, apparently. Ah, I love throwing shade at Pro Football Focus. To yeah. hell with those guys. But you were in the room with me. You made a gif of me screaming he's not a good quarterback. Yeah. Specifically talking about Doug Hodges. With that in mind, when you look at that and you see that the Buffalo Bills won that game and clinched a playoff spot with Josh Allen going 13-25 for 139 yards, one touchdown, one pick, uh, he ran for a touchdown, had a 65 passer rating. The defense on the other side of things, when you look at the turnover margin, our defense, Pittsburgh had four fumbles. They only lost one of them. But five turnovers, including two interceptions down the stretch when they were trying to come back and win the game or take the lead late. 
Yeah. That's what this has always been. Was a rock fight between two teams. Doesn't matter how good we are. Doesn't matter how high flying our offense is. The Steelers are well coached and they have star players. They've got a Minka Fitzpatrick. They've got a TJ Watt. They've got a Cam Hayward. They didn't even have Stephon Tuitt. Can you imagine how bad that would have been if they had? Oh, yeah. I think the reality here that Bills fans need to make their peace with is that, yes, we lost. Yes, we are 0-1. No, it's not fun. It doesn't feel good. But at the same time, this matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers was never fun. We won it because we came out with some plays that are... what, Chris, how... It's one of those statistics. You're a fantasy football guy. Yes, I am. Okay, you're not so much an X's and O's guy, but you like fantasy football. Yes. How easy is it for a defense that got most of its points off interceptions to repeat that the following year? Uh, That doesn't happen often. So when you're talking about games being decided on pick sixes and interceptions, eventually there's going to come a day where not only does that dry up, but maybe it swings back and hits you squarely in the face. And that's what happened to the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. If that's the case, and that we go toe-to-toe three times in three years with a coach who never fielded a team with fewer than nine wins, who's perennially in the playoff hunt, who's constantly, he's been a mainstay of wild card games and divisional round games for the last decade, and we lost to that team by a blocked punt for a touchdown, which is a fluke play in and of itself. You can live with that, right? Yeah. It kind of almost tempers the way you feel about it. That's right. As it should. This is all should. So everybody needs to just take a deep breath and relax. Look at it in terms of, yes, you can go back and listen to our recap and hear about all the ways things went well, things went bad. But at the end of the day, it's one game against an opponent who we've been on the better. We've been on the receiving end of some great bounces. And ultimately, I think that we're going to be okay. The same way we would have been if we had lost either one of those other games. And so then, moving on with the AFC's roundup, not sh- shocking. I shouldn't even say not shockingly. Shockingly, not bringing up. You are no longer the tomato can, sir. We have Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet to talk about the Jets game with the Panthers as they lost 19-14. to First of all, how good does it feel to not be, you know, because we do the reverse order of the standings. How good does it feel not to be last? It's nice because it makes me feel like Kenny Omega, who years ago was just a young guy on the card working his way up. And now he's the AEW champion. I hate all of you for your wrestling nonsense. <laughs> but you know what? It, if this is the evil I have to live with, I will try. I will give it the old college try. You should just start calling Scott the cleaner. That's right. <laughs> Walk around with a broom. <laughs> Jesus. So the New York Jets, they, they, they lost the Darnold Bowl 19 to 14. But it wasn't all bad, right? I mean, like, there's some notable statistics in there that I want to hit on before we get into the Q&A. First of all, Zach Wilson, 37 pass attempts. For 54 yard, 54% completion, which, as Bills fans, I feel like I'm not allowed to laugh at after Josh Allen's 2018 rookie season. I can't make fun of completion percentage. But he had three completions of more than 25 yards, which is big for a rookie. Like, offensive line, six sacks, 10 total quarterback hits, and six tackles for loss allowed. 
Corey Davis, 97 yards and two touchdowns. So, first of all, just the Q&A and the emerging storylines about this game. What the hell happened to your offensive line? Hmm. It's a good question. By the way, I should add a little context to those numbers. First of all, Corey Davis would have gone over 100 if he hadn't dropped the pass early in the game. And Zach Wilson's completion percentage would have been higher if he didn't have three drop passes, one of which could have very well turned the tide of the whole game because it was Elijah Moore yards to Elijah Moore and Moore couldn't hang on. The other thing is he would have been sacked and hit a lot more if in the second half he hadn't found ways to escape and make plays on the run. Some of those throws were absolutely incredible. So as you said, Drew, there was a lot not to like, but there was a lot to like in this game too, and a lot of it surrounded Zach Wilson and what you can hopefully expect from him. But as far as the offensive line, it's funny because one of the things that we kept talking about a lot throughout the offseason was that the Jets were expected to not have like a great offensive line, but have a better offensive line, one that might be respectable because they brought in Morgan Moses from Washington. They got Elijah Vera Tucker in the draft. Those right there are two pretty notable upgrades. So you figure, okay, they had one of the worst left guards in the league last year, at least in a starting spot in Alex Lewis. He's gone. Elijah Vera Tucker, a blue chip rookie, is in his place. You had George Fant, who really wasn't very good last year. He was okay at best. You get him replaced by Morgan Moses, who's a better player. Well, a couple of things. First of all, George Fant started over Mor- George Fant started over Morgan Moses on Sunday. Still can't figure out why. I know that they were supposedly neck and neck in camp, but if it's reasonably close, go with the guy who's the better player. At least that's what I think. The other thing is, we had talked a lot about Makai Becton struggling in the preseason and well most specifically in training camp and what you heard was carl lawson was beating him like a drum on almost a daily basis you heard that in the joint practices he was getting destroyed by the eagles and the packers and the worst one was preston smith which is getting around him constantly and my theory was drew that teams didn't have a lot of tape on him last year because when he was at louisville there weren't a ton of true pass sets So you couldn't look at his Louisville tape and really glean a lot. Last year, he dominated in a lot of these games. He had his ups and downs at points, but for the most part, he was way ahead of where we expected him to be. Well, now these guys are going back, they're watching tape, and they're saying, okay, here are the holes in his game as a pass protector, and then they're figuring that out. So Becton wasn't playing very well, and then he got hurt, and so then Morgan Moses ended up in the game anyway. Greg Van Roten and Connor McGovern were both terrible absolutely terrible so when you put that together what it meant was not only was wilson under duress but the one thing that we knew the jets wanted to do is they wanted to run the ball control the tempo and not make zach wilson have to drop back a ton they couldn't run the ball lafleur was very stubborn he just kept trying to pound it trying to pound it wasn't happening and then finally he said okay i guess zach wilson's gonna have to try and throw and wilson did a much better job in the second half there were some adjustments made both by him and by the coaching staff. But at the same time, you're not going to win very many games when your quarterback is getting smacked around like that. So if the offensive line doesn't get better, they're going to have some trouble. And as I was saying to Andy Vasquez right after the game, Zach Wilson said in the postgame presser that at one point he felt like he'd been hit by a truck. Well, we got 16 weeks to go here. So if the Jets won't do something, we're going to see Mike White at under center at some point. 
So yeah, we've been talking about the good and bad and ugly. That's that, that's kind of a new way I want to frame some of these conversations, and I'm pretty sure that's the ugly. Is the pass protection from the New York Jets on Sunday was a mess. And a lot of it had to do with the health of the offensive line, but it's interesting to hear that Beckton was struggling before that. What about the good and the bad? If you had to pick one facet of this game that fit each one of those categories, what would you say? Offensively, defensively, both. Both. Whatever you well, whatever you think fits. The best thing you can think of, and then the second worst thing you can think of besides the offensive line. <laughs> Well, the offensive line was bad. I'd say the running backs were bad, but the thing that's tough with that is how much of that was the offensive line not getting any push and how much of it was the running backs just not being able to do much. That stood out as well because they just could not run the ball. Corey Davis really was everything that you would have expected. I mentioned that he dropped the pass. Nobody's perfect. But other than that, he was Zach Wilson's go-to guy, his security blanket. Two touchdowns, had almost 100 yards receiving. Everything you could have possibly expected when you brought him in here on a free agent contract. So that would be the good and the bad. And then if you look at the defensive side of the ball, I will say, overall, there were some bumps in the road. But other than one terrible play, where Robbie Anderson just broke wide open and got a touchdown. That defense held up much better than you could have reasonably expected, considering that there are a lot of guys in that defense that you never even would have heard of that were on the field for significant snaps. We joked about it on the postgame presser, me and Andy Vasquez. Sheldon Redwine. My joke was, Red, Red, Red Wine, great song by UB40, but I had no idea who this guy was. And there he is out on the field taking meaningful snaps, chasing around wide receivers. Huge mismatch. We talked about Carl Lawson being gone. And now LaMarcus Joyner during the game got hurt. So that defense just kept getting worn down and worn down. And there's a lot of spots where they had some real issues, but... They kept them in the game. Jeff Ulbrich did a great job. Robert Sala did a great job. There were some excellent adjustments in the second half. And, Drew, I know you didn't watch the game, but the one thing I'll tell you is Sam Darnold had some moments in the first half. I'd say a lot of it had to do with Christian McCaffrey, too, but he had his fair share of decent plays. Second half, he didn't really do much, and a lot of that had to do with adjustments and also Sam Darnold being Sam Darnold. But... I would say that if we're adding an extra element of good, the defense was much, much better than we had any right to expect. Whether that continues, we'll see. One interesting facet of this, and it actually comes from your guy, Luke Grant, who I recently hopped on a pod with. And I'll be honest, I'm really sorry that we couldn't have done that differently because just if I had a better internet connection, they would have gotten the best version of that story. I was trying to hotspot it while podcasting from my garage because it's a dedicated... <laughs> yeah, I told you I would be there, and I, I wasn't going to not be there. So it was funny to me that Luke Grant tweeted out just 20 minutes ago now. It felt like, the in, in quotes from Chris Sims, it felt like the Panthers had to jump on the schemes themselves. Like when, when they're in this formation, they're going to slide the line this way. Talking about how he calls James Morgan a traitor and says that kind of offers up this idea <laughs> that he may have had something to do with giving away the playbook. Now, that's not the first time we've heard this this week, Chris. Last night in our preview podcast that we aired, Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry talked about how Malcolm Perry was signed by the Patriots after cutdown day. And then going into week one, the Patriots seemed to know a lot of the nuances of the formations and the things that the Dolphins were trying to do on offense. 
How likely do you think it is that James Morgan gave them anything meaningful? I guess it couldn't have hurt, but honestly, I think the main thing is that the Jets' offensive line just really couldn't block anybody. So you could talk about formations and all that. I'm sure there's an element to it. If you go back and watch the film, and look, Chris Sims is going to make it up at a whole cloth. I'm sure there's something there. But I, I believe it was Blue Chips where Nick Nolte, as Coach Pete Bell, says, I could go into the opposing locker room. I could give them my plays. I could tell them exactly what we're going to do because it's not about what we do. It's about how we do it, God damn it. It's all about execution. Yeah. So that's pretty much how I look at it. You could say that maybe Morgan gave them a little something, but ultimately if they had executed, James Morgan feeding them a few things wasn't going to make a huge difference. Now, X's and O's conversation aside, we've talked about stats. We've talked about a little bit schematically what might have broken down for you guys. When you think about this as a Jets fan, how does the – I mean, I guess it's one of those things where I think – Chris, I feel like if the Bills were to have lost to a quarterback that we – like essentially just like gave a, like allowed to leave after drafting them in the top five. Like if we lose to Houston in a couple yeah. weeks, like if Houston comes in here into <laughs> Buffalo and beats the bills with Tyrod Taylor, at quarterback, I'm going to feel like everyone's going to feel a certain kind of way about that. How is the jets fan base handling that losing to Sam Darnold? You know, it's funny. I, I thought it would be worse at least now let's, let's, put this in perspective twitter isn't the real world it's just a sample so i'm just going based on the people that i know personally and the people i interact with on social media as far as jets fans what i've gotten a lot of and i'm kind of surprised because in years previous you would hear way more negativity was the first half during the game you did hear a lot of uh darnold uh darnold but then when the second half we didn't really do anything and it became clear that wilson was starting to make plays I think Jets fans kind of woke up to the fact that Darnold was better with the Panthers yesterday than he had been in a bunch of the games with the Jets, but he also had much better help around him, and if that's the best you're going to get out of him, then okay, fine, so what? You traded him, and maybe he'll be an okay quarterback. With Wilson, you saw some really special throws, and I was surprised to see that there wasn't as much, oh my God, they lost to Darnold, doom, in a lot of Jets fans, as I had expected, what you heard a lot of was the offensive line is terrible and they better find a way to keep Zach Wilson upright. But a lot of people were very pleased with what they saw from Wilson after the second half. And as you know, Drew, Jets fans are eternally negative. So I thought for sure they were going to say, oh, this kid, he's a bust or this or that. But most people seem to like what they saw and, and are very bullish on him heading into week two against New England. Now, of course, we know the story with Bill Belichick. He's going to do everything he can to make week two a living hell for Zach Wilson. And based on the way that the Patriots performed in the trenches, decent chance he's going to be able to succeed. But for now, I think Jets fans mostly have put that Sam Darnold stuff on the back burner, believe it or not. Which is good. I mean, this is the perfect game for you guys because you get to see it's like your present versus the ghost of Christmas past. You get to see it, and you guys walk away from this going, you know, he wasn't that good. (laughs) Sam Darnold was okay, but he had a much better team around him. He had, uh, what, Christian McCaffrey putting up over 180 all-purpose yards. He had all these things, and they barely won that game. 
Yep. He is the same guy that we thought he was when we jettisoned him into this into space, and he ended up in Carolina. So, with that, now that you guys have kind of made your peace with that, new segment we're going to end every single one of these spots with. Looking ahead, your feelings about the spread and how you think you'll do against him. The Patriots are being favored by five and a half on the road, which is crazy to me. Being a five and a half point road dog, just based on what we saw from both teams this past weekend. Do you disagree? Agree. And if you disagree, tell me why. I'd say this spread should probably be a little bit lower only because you should give the Jets a little bit of respect at home, I would think. But at the same time, we talked about it. The Patriots were really strong in the trenches. The Jets had a lot of problems protecting Wilson. And let's not forget, there's the specter of Bill Belichick against the rookie quarterback. Although I know I've pointed this out to you before, Sanchez and Geno Smith both got victories against the Patriots in their rookie season. So if they can do it, no reason that Wilson can't. And if anything, you would think the Patriots are more ripe to be taken down now than at any time in the past 20 years. Last year, they were maybe a worse team, but the Jets were terrible last year. So the Jets weren't ripe to pick off anybody. I think you could make a case for the spread. I do think that the Patriots will probably cover narrowly. I think they'll, if they win, and it'll probably be about a seven-point victory. I know Mike Debate, your friend, is going to be on the show, and we talked about it, and he said he thinks the Patriots will probably win something like 24-17. I could see that. I think that's a fair assessment. But I also think it's not out of the realm of possibility that Zach Wilson and the Jets bounce back and get a narrow win in their favor. Remember, both teams are 0-1. This is in New, in New Jersey. I'm going to say New York, but we're being 100% accurate here. It's in New yeah, Jersey. Yeah, I was going to say, our listeners will tweet at you angrily. Of course. So it'll Because they're be, petty like we are. We are the pettiest Bills podcast. You are the Tom Petty. You are the Richard Petty of Bills hey, podcast. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Yeah, that's right. So I would say that it's not out of the realm of possibility. Remember, one thing about Zach Wilson, he's a film junkie. He's obsessed with football. So if there's something for him to learn from last week and if there's something that he can see on tape about the Patriots defense that he can exploit, I'm sure that he'll pick it up. I would say that the spread is maybe slightly high. I don't think it's terribly unfair. And I do think there's a decent chance that the Patriots will cover it. So I can't really argue with it too much. Where can everybody find what you guys have coming up over at Play Like a Jet on social? And what do you have coming down the pipeline for us? Before I say all of that stuff, Drew, I need you to tell the story about you getting beat up at a parking lot at Denny's because I said on Twitter that I was not going to let you end this segment until you told that story. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll make a bet with you since because it's an, it's, an, it's an unsavory story. And it's one of those things that I feel like our listeners would be really into. If the Jets finish with a winning record this year, I will spend a huge chunk of our last segment this season telling that story specifically to you. How about that? Is that fair? All right. Fair enough. Although I have a feeling that that means we're not going to hear this story on the podcast, but okay. <laughs> Listen, the day it happens, hold me to this. Chris, isolate this if you want to. The day that the Jets finish with a winning record, I will tell the story okay. about how I got beat up in a Denny's parking lot like like so much trailer garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
just so I'm much trailer park garbage. Looking forward to that. Well, in the meantime, while we're waiting for the Jets to have a winning record and Drew to talk about how he had $4 pancakes thrown at him in the parking lot at a Denny's. I wish it was that. I wish that was the extent of it. <laughs> well, I didn't say it was actual edible pancakes. It might have been concrete pancakes, possibly. Oh, Something that I should add, you might find in a no-holds-barred match on an AEW card. Perhaps it would be... John Moxley hitting you with those cement pancakes Jesus. in his hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, this past week. How have we become Rampage? the wrestling, the wrestling <laughs> reference podcast? Because we know how much it bothers this you. Chris is not to make these references. But yeah, while we're waiting for all that, you can check out Play Like a Jet on uh, uh, any podcast app that you like, whether it's Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. We've got a YouTube channel, which... Thanks to everybody who subscribed. We just went over a thousand, which is awesome because we've only had the channel for a couple of months. Luke Grant, who you mentioned before, the Thunder from Down Under, he's putting together some fantastic videos. He did a film review of Zach Wilson's game. He did a film review of Elijah Vera Tucker's game, the rookie tackle, uh, excuse me, the rookie guard. So you can subscribe and watch the videos there. Follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And guys, I'm hoping that. There are better results this week for both the Bills and the Jets. But either way, I know that we're going to have fun talking about it. And whether it's this year or next year or the year after that, at some point, the Jets are going to win enough games that I'll be able to get you to tell that Denny story. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so now we're on to our third team of the night, which, Chris, it still bothers me. As we get deeper down this list and the Buffalo Bills aren't at the top of it, we're now joined by Mike DeBate from Lockdown Patriots and SportsIllustrated.com to talk about the New England Patriots who lost 17-16 to to the Dolphins. How's it, how's it going up there in Foxborough? <laughs> well, it's been better up here in Foxborough, but, you know, there's also, I think, an air among the fan base that says, you know what, there were a lot of mistakes that were made. The Patriots made a lot of costly penalties, uh, four fumbles, two of which went into the hands of the Miami Dolphins. Patriots still come away from that, losing only by one and with several chances to be able to punch it in and make that uh, that move and maybe have a different outcome. So in that respect, nobody's happy to be 0-1, no question about it, but they're looking at it saying a rookie quarterback played pretty well, defense bounced back after a rough start, uh, there are promising, uh, there is a promising future up here in New England for a lot of those guys, and I think that's how they're trying to take some of that away from what happened up here on Sunday. 
So if we're running down the notable statistics that I peeled away from this, Mac Jones, 281 yards, 83 more than Tua, one touchdown, and a 74% completion percentage. I feel like that's pretty good for a rookie in his first start. Yeah, definitely good for a rookie in his first start without any question. One thing that you want to always point out in that, uh, one thing I know Patriots fans want to, maybe not Bills fans so much, but Patriots fans want to point out 14 of 19 completions under pressure, Uh, something that I think was very impressive for a rookie quarterback making his first start um, against the defense, a Brian Flores defense that was trying to show him different looks, trying to get after him, really applying pressure, especially in the second half. Matt handled the blitz pretty well against the team that does it pretty well. Uh, 125 yards rushing, but on its face it seems weird. 4.3 yards per carry for Harris, who got 76% of all carries. And mm. I, I feel like the 125, I mean, he got, what, 40 or 50 on a single carry? So right. that kind of skews the numbers. But the interesting number out of that is 76% of all carries. What happened to the Patriots running back by committee? Uh, well, the, um, I don't want to say injury because there was no injury, but J.J. Taylor was not in the lineup on Sunday. Uh, really, I think, done more because the Patriots wanted to put more of a power scheme out there in the run uh, rather than have uh, maybe a little bit of speed and a little bit of finesse, which I think ended up really working to their disadvantage. Damian Harris definitely did what they what he, what he they needed him to do in carrying the ball as the feature back, but I think they expected a little more from Ramondre Stevenson, the rookie running back out of Oklahoma, than they got on Sunday. One of the first drives of the game, Patriots were knocking on the door, ready to head into the end zone. Ramondre Stevenson fumbles, Dolphins pick it up, and they get the ball back and they take away the Patriots' momentum, and they didn't get a chance to punch it in where they were very close to doing so. Stevenson ended up being in the Belichickian doghouse for the rest of the game, only had five uh, snaps and really did not see uh, much action else uh, throughout the rest of the game. So you can bet that the Patriots are going to be working on ball security this week, but I would look for Taylor to be back in the lineup this week because I think they lack some speed in that running back core, and I think Taylor can provide that for them. Chris, how many running backs has Bill Belichick just killed the career of? Jonas Jonas Gray is one of my favorites. Jonas Gray has a career night, and then he's never heard from again. Uh, Mike Gillisley has a huge coming-out party week one of the season for the Patriots after leaving the Buffalo Bills. And then he— Lawrence Maroney. (laughs) He loves to put people in the doghouse because I think he just believes he can coach better. It's— it's, it's an interesting dynamic, I, I, it, it, and it was weird to see that play out from what I got to see of it after we got home from the stadium. 11 of 16 on third down conversions. That's wildly impressive. For a rookie quarterback in, your, in his first game, can you speak to that a little bit and talk about how that was manufactured? Uh, That was manufactured basically by very good scheme in terms of what Josh McDaniels and the Patriots play calling did and were able to put through. But you give uh, all the credit in the world of that to Mac Jones coming in, making the start, uh, knowing this was his first game, knowing that there were going to be opening day jitters. Not sure if you guys saw the uh, opening snap. It was not a pretty sight. Uh, Matt kind of fumbled it a little bit. Uh, It was called a, I believe it was, it was a fumble and a recovery and a, and a, uh, a mishap and just, it could have gone so wrong for Mac from that point on, but he really settled down, really proved that he could be the leader that these guys need him to be. And as far as converting on third down, he's essentially running this offense 
exactly the way the Patriots want it run. Those vertical routes based on quick, accurate throws, hitting all of his receivers in stride, putting the ball where only the receiver can get it. He spread the ball around a lot on Sunday. You saw him hit Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, all these guys involved in the offense. So because of that, it facilitates what you want to do to be able to convert on third down. And Mac has got uh, you know ice water running through the vein. He doesn't let the moment get too big for him. So those qualities will serve him well. There is still going to continue to be rookie moments. Uh, no one's putting him in Canton anytime soon, but he'll continue to grow, and he'll continue to grow into being a pretty solid quarterback for this franchise. Now on the defensive side of the ball, this is what I thought was interesting about this football game in particular. All I heard, and Chris, you're talking about a guy who I, I went to the game. I come home, I'm done packing the truck. I come, I put that game on TV because I say, okay, Cleveland, Kansas City, oh, Kansas City's coming back. I don't need to see any more of this. I already know, I've watched this movie. Let's put on the Dolphins and the Patriots and let's watch this thing unfold. And I look, I'm looking at the scoreboard going, why aren't the Dolphins pulled farther away? I mean, all of the talk that I heard this offseason was that they made all of these leaps and bounds in terms of their offensive development. They got better skill players. They were going to be able to spread the field. And yet, in yesterday's preview show, we talked about uh, FinManiacs.com's Hassan Patel broke down the different positional groups and the EPA that each one of them generated. Outside of 12 personnel, any time that they tried to spread you out, go three wide, four wide, their production just fell off a cliff. <laughs> and that's what that, that's what the best offenses in football do. The Kansas Cities, the Buffalo Bills, the when you look historically back, it's we can spread you out and we can find ways to make dynamic plays down the field in the passing game. What did your defense do to make life hard on Miami? This team that we were all told was going to improve. Yeah, I mean, essentially what they did, what the Patriots did, was enact their improved front seven. And that's exactly what they did. They put in a solid performance. Christian Barmore is someone that is making a difference in this defensive front. Notable contributor, had several pushes in the pocket, really congrated some pressure, kept Tua a little bit off guard. And even when Tua had his opportunities to move down the field and find guys like Devontae Parker, Jalen Waddell, uh, opportunities that he would have to make passes complete, the Patriots clogged the middle were able to stuff the run when they had to. Miles Gaskin had a couple of runs, but for the most part, the Patriots were able to keep him in check. That's exactly what this Patriots defense could not do last year, that they're going to be very good at doing this year. Stuffing the run because they can set the edge, and I think they did a good job of that on Sunday. Dietrich Wise was able to get on the edge. Kyle Van Noy comes up, all of a sudden becomes that 3-4, that fourth rusher that's ready to get after the passer. And because of that, they're able to create confusion, and that's exactly what they did. Matt Judon got to uh, uh, to a couple of times. Josh Uche really just annihilated Liam Eikenberg and just rolled him right over to get after a big-time sack that really got uh, a lot of the fans at Gillette going and uh, you know really excited and they've got hybrid players that can do a lot of different things guys Adrian Phillips is someone that I continue to be impressed with every time I he watch him field he had, uh, he had a tremendous tremendous game end of the third quarter maneuver into the Dolphins backfield helps to stifle a run on the first down then right after that makes an open field tackle against a screen on a third down this guy can really, he can do it all. And then in one of the best sequences uh, of the day for him, he was instrumental on the coverage along with Matt Judon 
to get Jonathan Jones to be able to intercept to attack of Iloa. So all the, uh, the credit in the world goes to the Patriots defensive front and their hybrid players in the, in the secondary that can come up and play big roles in that area. So to kind of just wrap all of this up, a good, a bad and an ugly from this game from your vantage point. Well, I'm going to go with the cliche. The good is Mac Jones and doing what he was able to do. You know, I mentioned earlier his ability to make plays under pressure. And, you know, guys, it's something that when you have a rookie quarterback and you guys are, you know, not too far removed from Josh Allen being a young quarterback on the cusp of doing big things. And I'm not saying that Mac is going to play his way into an elite status like Josh has right now. I think he can, but it's too way too early to be able to say for sure if he's going to be able to do it. What I was most impressed with Again with Mac, 14 of 18 for 129 yards against the Blitz, 9 for 12 for 89 yards on third down, and 7 of 10 with a touchdown when he was under pressure. So those types of statistics make Patriots fans very happy to see that they found their quarterback and they know that this kid can be the effective game manager and maybe even that type of franchise quarterback that they've been looking for since Tom departed. But the bad... (laughs) The bad would probably be a situation where the outside corners still look thin without Stephon Gilmore. Uh, Jalen Mills had his moments, had a nice pass breakup, looked okay in coverage at times, but then there were times where he looked to go a bit too far underneath, and that created plays over the top for Tua Tagovailoa, and that's how the Dolphins were able to exploit the Patriots' defense. Jawan Williams, unable to keep step with his intended target. He was always a step or two behind. Patriots have to shore that up. Because Stefan Gilmore is still out for another five games. The Patriots have to come up with a solution for that. Otherwise, teams are going to eat them alive in that area. And when they play an offense that's really more capable of exploiting that, it could be a big problem. And the ugly penalties for ball security. Patriots fumbled the ball four times, two of which ended up in Miami's hands. Costly penalties. Isaiah Wynn was called for a holding call that derailed a very promising drive. Patriots had to settle for three instead of possibly getting four. Uh, Just rookie, not rookie, but just mental mistakes uh, that really cannot be made. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson obviously making the rookie mistake, but Damian Harris fumbling near the, uh, the end of the game. That assigns at least a field goal in that situation. Patriots have to shore that up. They cannot continue to turn the ball over. Otherwise, they're not going to have success. Hearing that, four fumbles, Chris. I don't know how he doesn't just tie everyone to a cinder block and sink them all to the bottom. <laughs> just like sink, find the nearest lake, take them up to Chesapeake. What's the bay? What's your closest body of water? What's the closest bay to Gillette Stadium? Um. No, you know what? But Bill just take him up to Boston and dump him in the Charles. I mean, that seems to there be what is. everyone else does in Boston. So <laughs> just do were... that and then take it through. Yeah, take it from right, right from there. <laughs> Jesus, here four fumbles. So next week, the spread. I just want to know real quick before we let you go: agree or disagree? The Patriots are five and a half point favorites against the New York Jets on the road. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, you know, it's tough based on you know how this team has, has looked offensively and what they're going to be able to do. We'll see what they're going to be able to do. But I like the fact that the Patriots are going to be able to put up points um, against the uh, the Jets. I think Mac is going to be settled down. I think the Patriots 12 man is going to be a little bit more aggressive in this game. And because of that, I also think they're going to be able to hold the Jets in check. That offensive line right now for the Jets continues to have its difficulty. Patriots front seven is definitely 
definitely licking its chops for this matchup. Um, I, I think that's about accurate, folks. Uh, if I'm looking at a uh, at a final, you know, I'm probably looking at at least five. So, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much right on the money. Where can people find me on social? And what do you have coming up for Lockdown Patriots this week? <laughs> Excellent. Thank you guys very much. You can find me on the Bird app at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-N-F-L. You can follow all my written work at Patriot Maven of Sports Illustrated. And here on Lockdown Patriots, five days a week, we're going to continue to keep breaking down not only the Patriots' loss to the Dolphins, but we're really going to start to look ahead to the Jets. John Butchko, host of Lockdown Jets, coming on for Crossover Thursday this week. Check us out on all platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. Scott Mason and Mike Debate. No Al Fartiaga, so we can't do any uh, trios. So we well, have to he did our preview show, and we kept him for so long. that. I, and Chris, honestly, I'd rather do that than bother him with a 10-minute spot on the AFC's roundup. Well, I was going to just get it out there because it's been a recurring theme over the last couple of weeks. Scott Mason, Mike Debate, they're like AEW's 2.0. <laughs> tandem for everyone. They have to. It makes have me to. sad for you. It really does. So the Miami Dolphins game recap, they won 17-16 to against the Patriots and sit on top of the AFC East. Now you look at that game and what the box score is, and we did talk about it in our preview show that aired uh, the... Chris, I'm not going to do this every single show. Go back and listen to our Rockpile Report upcoming preview show. We talked with Elf about what happened in this New England game. But there's some notable stats that we didn't have time or just the conversational flow to touch on. First of all, Tua, 185 adjusted passing yards, 83 fewer than Mac Jones in a one-point game. How is that possible? I don't even know what that means. So Tua, when you take sacks into account, threw for 185 yards. Mac Jones threw 83 more yards than he did as a rookie playing his first game in the NFL. For the Patriots, who don't have powerhouse skill players. Seems about right. I mean, one thing I saw from Mac Jones that I thought was a little... I can't believe that that happened was the amount of times that he threw. No, yeah, no, that was... That was incredible. I didn't think Belichick would let a rookie throw that much. No, of course not. Like, that's... That's wild. But, you know, as we we talked about it with Mike Debate and he tried to explain it away, there was a method to their madness. Then you look at their defensive line. Two tackles for loss, six quarterback hits, zero credited sacks. Now, there's that one that we laughed about that was flagged that should have been a sack, and I think it's a weak flag. But ultimately, two tackles for loss and six quarterback hits. That's not a ton. That's not a lot of pressure on a rookie. Especially a rookie who's not the most athletic guy. He's not escapable. He's not... He doesn't... I don't know. Jerome Baker, kudos to him. He was their star player in the linebacker court. 12 tackles, 8 solo. When I'm looking at these numbers, Chris, there's a lot of things that jump out here that I'm like, okay, there's some good, but then there's some bad. Like Gesicki and his no, no receiving yards. Mike Gesicki. Yeah, you'd assume Arguably he'd... one of the biggest mismatches in the NFL at the tight end position. Like, he's in there in that upper echelon of tight ends, correct? Yeah, I'd put him probably in the top 15. It's surprising he only got two targets and no catches. Dawson Knox had better yardage than he did. So when you look at that coming out, there's a good and a bad and the ugly that we've been asking everybody tonight. But I can tell you this. 
because I'm petty, I'm going to focus on the ugly because Elf isn't here tonight. <laughs> and all I do is punch down. Tua was outpassed by a rookie by almost 50% in terms of yardage. Your defense allowed 125 yards rushing. Now, some of that did, most of that came on one carry. But that one carry was big enough to set the Patriots up for a scoring drive. I just, I look at this for Miami and I say, I, I, I have to question what's, you feel good, right? If you're the team that's sitting on top of the AFC East at any point in time, you feel good about it. Yeah. But how good? How good knowing that there's just some of these gross outliers and statistics that are kind of hard to kind of hard to reconcile if you thought that your team could go in there, play a rookie quarterback and dominate, and now you're gonna go into a stretch of your schedule where you play Josh Allen, Derek Carr, who was red hot on Monday Night Football this week, uh, Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts, Tom Brady, uh Another rookie who has a much higher ceiling in terms of being an aggressive passer in uh, Trevor Lawrence down in Jacksonville. There's a run here. And if they were going to set themselves up well, you'd want them to come out and dominate against a young rookie quarterback. And their defense didn't show that they were capable of doing that. Now, if you were a fan of their team, Chris, how worried would you be? For the Dolphins? For the Dolphins. Just knowing that, hey, kid in his first performance... Not the most athletic kid, not the best arm, not the best weapons. We almost lost this football game. I mean, I don't think I'd be. I don't think I would be that worried. I mean, they have a bunch of young talent, and it's just a matter of everybody gelling together. I think they're on the up and up. I wish I would remain in the basement forever, but that's not how this works. <sighs> if only, Chris. If only we could keep the Miami Dolphins and the Bay, them and the Patriots. I'd be okay with the Jets being second fiddle just because I feel like the Jets fans have suffered longer than we have. Yeah, that might that might be a thing. They haven't made the playoffs in, what, over 10 years? I think it was since, like, Rex Ryan. Now, in our preview show, Elf looked at that Bills being favored by three and a half and said that he, you know, when we talked about his predictions and then we talked about the spread how do you feel about this do you still feel as strongly as you did when we when you said it that you're taking the bills what seven yeah i think the bills won by a touch jesus i don't after what you saw on sunday yeah because i i know that good players can have bad games (laughs) that's fair that's fair and it's reasonable That's reasonable, and that's a great place to wrap this conversation as we look ahead, our Week 2 AFC East Outlook. It's going to be yet another week of AFC East on AFC East Crime here in Week 2, with the New York Jets at home against the Patriots. It's going to be the battle of rookie quarterbacks. I think it's going to be interesting to see if the Jets can continue to navigate this onslaught of injuries and get Zach Wilson some better protection, because, let's face it, like... The Dolphins put assets into their offensive line and had a, I don't want to say a hard time, but Tua didn't walk out of their unscathed. The Patriots' front seven did its job against Miami. And now you're going up against a Jets team that had a plan and its plan is starting to fall apart. They're a rebuilding football team. I just, I feel like this has the potential to turn into like me making fun of Charlie Gross. Like it's just nothing but punching down. And so with that said, 
I don't know. A team with a much more ferocious pass rush. I almost worry for Zach Wilson. I do. What do you think about that? Zach Wilson, he's a smaller guy. And it, I I saw a couple of the highlights. It looked like any time he got hit, it took him a minute to get up. Yeah. Meanwhile, the New England Patriots walking into the Meadowlands are trying to avoid their first 0-2 start since 2001. I was still in high school. Well, you were probably, what, working a factory line somewhere, what old you, man? What year is this? 2001. 2001? No, 2001, I was a, I was a sophomore in high school. A sophomore in high school? Yeah, because I graduated in 03. So, yeah, I was a sophomore in high school. So they're going to go to the Meadowlands and try to make sure that their rookie quarterback doesn't start off 0-2, doesn't set them back almost 20 years. And ultimately, I think they have to avoid this, right? When you look ahead at what their schedule is, I mean, if you're talking about the New England Patriots, they were voted as one of those teams that had a difficult schedule. Well, if you don't win, I think a couple weeks ago we talked to Mike Debate about this. How, yeah. how that fast start would have to matriculate, you're 0-1. Now you go to play the Jets, who are beleaguered. They're missing. They've got skill players, but they're missing trench players, which I think has been the recipe for disaster for the Jets for a while. Next up is the Saints, who just hung up. One of the, when, I saw, when I saw the box score of Saints-Packers this weekend, I thought, I, I'm like, I didn't have that much to drink. Am I misreading the TV? They hung a beating on the Packers. Yeah, I don't think anybody saw that coming. No. So now you have to go compete with that team if you're New England. And then Tom Brady comes back to back to Gillette. And you go, wait a minute. I could potentially be 0-4 heading into week five. Chris, that's where you get into that ill-fated zone that we talked about last week. Once you start flirting with 0-4, 0-5, less than 1% of all football teams make the playoffs. Or even flirt with it. It could turn into a nightmare season if they can't find a way to steal this one. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Buffalo away against the Dolphins. I mean, losing to Pittsburgh sucks, but it's not the end of the world. Losing another AFC matchup especially when it's in your own division. If you're thinking that the Buffalo Bills are going to be what we all collectively believe they can be, the loss there would change a lot of that, I think. I think if you go down and you lose to Miami and you're 0-2 in the AFC, you're 0-1 in the division, it changes the conversation. Now, the Dolphins' defense, we broke down with Elf in yesterday's matchup preview, has historically been kind to Josh and Brian Dable. They're going to need all of that and then some to get the Bills' season back on track here in the AFC East. I think avoiding turnovers is going to be key, a lesson that the Patriots just learned the hard way on a national stage. And then the Miami Dolphins. They haven't started a season 2-0 in the AFC in over, well, it's got to be 15 years, which is a big part of why they, just like Buffalo, have just one division title since 2008. Brian Flores is 0-4 against the Bills since being named Finn's head coach. And I'm positive that the players in the locker room will still remember what happened the last time these two teams met. 
So the pressure is on Flores and that leadership group that he's cultivated to ensure that their continued lack of composure doesn't manifest itself yet again in another embarrassing loss to Sean McDermott and company. That's it. That's the lay, that's the lay of it for Miami. You have to go out there and prove that you're done being outcoached by guys like Sean McDermott and Bill Belichick. You failed. You almost failed the acid test week one. Let's see if you can get one more. I can't wait for it to play out. It's going to be another fun week of football. We're almost at the weekend. Make sure you're following us at Rockball Report. And Chris, where can they follow all of our guests? Uh, Mike Debate is, I can't remember his Twitter handle, MD. B A T E N F L most likely Scott Mason he's at play like a at play like a jet one guys this has been a lot of fun we're looking forward to another great weekend of football we're gonna get the hell out of here I'm Drew Gear that's Chris Kruger and this has been your AFC's roundup whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.